Welcome to the RSP cast. This is the quick game. We've been away for a little while, had a little summer summer solstice, maybe. I don't know. That's a nice way of putting it. That's but... a nice way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's always great to be able to have Mark Schofield rejoin me. I know a lot of you have missed the quick game. Well, it's week one is here. The grand experiment is here, and we are going to review in alphabetical order the most prevalent thought on our minds individually about each team. So, Mark, thanks so much for joining me. And we are, here we are. Here we are. We have made it to week one of the NFL season. Kudos to the NFL for getting us to this point. Now the big work begins, both on the field and off, and we all have those fingers and toes and everything else we can cross still, even at the advanced ages that we are, Matt. We have them all crossed that we get. You know, a regular season here. Well, somebody asked me on Twitter that they thought I was too old to dunk, and they saw apparently that I could. And then I said, there you yeah, go. I've got old man game, man. I've got old, old man, man hops. Old so, man hops. See, there we go. But uh, we'll see how much how much old man game we have here when we go here. So let's start off with the Arizona Cardinals, Mark. Um, what What's the first thing that comes to mind for you when you think about this team for 2020? I mean, I think the first thing that comes to mind for me and for everybody is Kyler Murray. We're going to see that year two leap that we've seen from so many other quarterbacks recently. We saw it for Jared Goff. He was a bust that he looked serviceable, you know, under Sean McFay. Carson Wentz had an MVP type season in his year two before he got hurt. Mahomes, his second year in the league, first year as a starter, wins an MVP. Same with Lamar last year. Teams are expected their rookie quarterbacks to make a big leap into year two. He's got DeAndre Hopkins. He's got Christian Kirk. He's got Kendian Drake. He's got Larry Fitz. He's got Cliff Kidsbury designing stuff up and scheming stuff up for him. Can he make that year two leap? That's the biggest question facing them this year. Yeah, and I think for me, you know, since you've covered that really the most obvious one, mine is really looking at DeAndre Hopkins and and this offense as a whole. Hopkins has been basically a target hog his entire career. And now he enters a system that you would think probably spreads the field a fair bit. Um, And so is he going to be a guy that's going to be, you know, a cog in the machine? He'll be he'll be one of their leading receivers, if not the leading receiver. But will it be by a large margin or will they spread the ball apart? And in conjunction with that, is it are they going to spread the offense as much as you think? Are they going to do a lot of 12 personnel like we saw last year, too? They ran a lot of that, and it was kind of like one extreme or the other. Will we continue to see, you know, one extreme or the other with this particular offense? So that's kind of what I'm I'm looking for here. So, Matt, that brings us to the Atlanta Falcons, obviously a team that's somewhat near and dear to your heart. What do you think of first when thinking about Matt Ryan and company? Man, I, I think about Todd Gurley in this offensive line at this point because – I liked what Chris Lindstrom did at the end of last year. Caleb McGarry got healthy and they got Alex Mack. That's a pretty nice right side of the line if all three of those guys can stay intact. I mean, Lindstrom has coming off some sort of foot injury and and maybe he's not quite ready. It's kind of hard to tell. But Todd Gurley, you know, the the at least the summer glow and the hype of him outrunning contain and being able to show that speed seems really nice and Dirk Cutter is giving that optimism of we think he'll get somewhere between well he'll get a quote heavy workload and they're like well Dirk what is that and he said somewhere between 15 to 25 touches per game well if he gets 15 touches per game that's more than that's about on par a little more than what he got last year and he was a top 12 fantasy back Um, this year I mean they've got a pretty good backup in Brian Hill 
You know, they've got the fantasy favorite in Ito Smith. Lord knows why that is. And then they have and then they have a guy like Kadri Olison, who I think is actually a, you know, a really compelling developmental guy for a backup role, um, who might even be able to be a starter one day in as a fill-in. Um, you know, so Gurley, you know, there's a lot to share, they say, but I think when they look at this. Um, they think they're going to be able to give Gurley the ball and, I'd, and and give it to him a lot. And I think this offensive line is better or has the potential to be a lot better than what the Rams were last year. And he's definitely in a system or with coaches who will adjust. Whereas with Sean McVay, you know, it took him a year and a half. So um, we'll see. I, I, I've got some, you know, some friends of mine who are thinking he could be that bold prediction top five guy. I don't know if I'm willing to go there, but I could see top 10. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Gurley is obviously a big question about Atlanta. I'm going to talk about their defense for a second because they kind of surprised people when they drafted A.J. Terrell in the first round. A lot of people, if it was perhaps recency bias, they remember that national championship game with Jamar Chase, who I know you just did some great work on at the RSP where he hit him for two touchdowns. You rewatch that. Chase obviously did some great things, but... You know, Terrell handled him on at least that vertical route touchdown. He was step for step with him, and it looked like Chase had a savvy veteran-type move with the arm, getting a little bit of separation. Terrell is impressed, at least during training camp. There are a lot of reports coming out of Atlanta's training camp that he's held his own with Calvin Ridley, held his own with Julio Jones. They're going to need him. Because outside of him, there are a lot of question marks about this secondary. If they could get him to step up and at least be a CB1 type, this defense is going to be a little bit better. But if he's more that guy we saw at times get worked by Jamar Chase in the national championship game, they can have all the pass rush they want. They're going to get thrown on. So if he can take a big step forward, really step into that CB1 role, they'll be in a better position. But if not, they're going to get thrown on. Yeah, and there's no better test than the hyper-efficient deep game of Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks coming yeah. up this Sunday. I can't wait to watch that. Um, and listen, that, that moves us on to another hyper-efficient team, the Baltimore Ravens. And, you, you know, I'm gonna, I've talked enough about the offense, Mark, um, you know, but I'm curious about what happens with Earl Thomas gone. You know, are they going to be able to find a captain of that secondary to be able to provide the the on-field leadership that they need. Obviously, they voted him off the island, so yep. you know the off-field wasn't something that they were too concerned about. But will Wink Martindale be able to scheme the way he needs to to create what looked like was going to be a might be a dominant defense this heading into this season? And they're missing a guy who's who could have been a, a really big linchpin for that. Do they really have the guns for it? Yeah, I'm, and I think that's critical to their success against the passing game. But if you look at what they did this offseason, they had one guy in mind that they wanted to stop. It's Derrick Henry. I mean, you look at all of the moves that they made. They trade for Calais Campbell. They add Derrick Wolf. They draft Patrick Queen. They draft Malik Harrison. They draft Justin Matabuke. Obviously, look, you see this offense. They're happy with where they are offensively. It's can they stop Derrick Henry? And I want to know, can they stop the run? And I know that seems like a crazy throwback kind of question in today's NFL where pass it is king and you have to be able to stop the passing game, pass rush versus coverage. I mean, we just had a debate a couple of days ago about whether Eric Donald is an average run defender. I mean, 
It's been crazy. And I know we're all sort of <laughs> striving to get football back. So maybe that's what contributed to that debate. But can they stop the run? If you've spent so much in terms of draft capital and trade resources to get guys to stop the run, will that bet pay off? Yeah. And listen, I mean, it's it's not even just Derrick Henry. Uh, if the if the if the other team that their alter ego actually starts to develop an offense in terms of the passing game and those gutter bumpers work they have to stop Nick Chubb too and then there's James Conner you know and Joe Mixon I mean this is just to get out of their division it's the it's the AFC North I mean that's the kind of football that's played yeah, but we'll, we'll we'll move away from that division to another AFC division and to a team that might finally reach the mountaintop, but it might depend on their quarterback. And that, of course, Matt, the Buffalo Bills. What comes to mind there? Can Josh Allen be accurate deep? Yeah, and will he stop making it. yeah, and will he stop making the dumb mistakes like two to four times a game? Because he's good enough, obviously, to be a, a, a starter in the sense of like a lot of the things that he does well. But the difference between, I think, being a guy who lasts as a starter in the league and and becomes a quarterback that they feel confident can win in the postseason is the guy who limits his mistakes at the end of games. That's why I think that's why I think the Chargers were like, you know what, let's get rid of Phillip Rivers now because it's like year it seemed like year after year, even as good as he could play in, in so many respects, and he's as, as good of a player as he is, it seems like he makes some critical errors, like at the end of games. And, you know, and while he's a veteran in that respect, Josh Allen needs to be able to prove, at least for a stretch of time, that he won't make those errors. And right now, you know, he, you know, just from a fa- sometimes fantasy numbers do dictate reality. And I think a good way that they dictate reality is this. Josh Allen was the number 10 quarterback last year in fantasy. But if you removed his rushing production, he was number 20. And so that tells you that throwing the ball is not really his thing on the level that it needs to be. And they just added a guy in Zach Moss who can run the football pretty much where Devin Singletary needs a great offensive line. As I've joked all year, it's... If the offensive line is a marriage with the running back, then Devin Singletary last year was at home eating bonbons with a with basically a pool boy or a pool woman and and a shopping budget that was unlimited, um, yeah. you know, and no kids, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And Zach Moss is kind of the in 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 contrast. Zach Moss is kind of like um, grew up playing football as like the single dad who basically um, you know with like three kids and widowed and like works two jobs and still somehow be able to have some like it you know so when you look at this situation josh allen isn't going to need to run as much anymore and so what's he going to do in those situations how good is his production going to be in those situations stefan diggs i mean to me he went from he went from a situation he might not have been so happy with to a situation where i'm going i would have taken less money to go somewhere i would have been happier but we'll see yeah yeah, I, I think, look, Josh Allen is the question. And, I mean, you could look at the rest of this roster, and it's a roster that should contend for the division and should be in the mix come the end of the AFC playoffs. I mean, that's how good this roster is. You look yeah. at the defense, they've got, look, Tredavious White is one of the top corners in the game right now. They have a perfect tandem of safeties and Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer who work so well together. Hard to find a better safety tandem in the league right now. Maybe the guys in Minnesota with Harrison Smith and Anthony Harris – defensively up front they're stout you know the offensive line yeah you've got some questions there but not a ton 
I mean, it's a pretty solid group. I'm curious to see how Singletary and Moss work together. I think they might be a good inside-outside tandem at running back, which would be a very nice thing to have. And receivers, look, Beasley and John Brown, they fit their roles well. Now you add Stephon Diggs. That gives you a nice 11 personnel package. They've got an emergent tight end to Dawson Knox. Allen's the question mark. And he doesn't have to be great downfield. He just has to be league average. I mean, you're talking about a guy that was like bottom of the barrel and downfield passing last year. And that was what he was supposed to be good at, right? He was supposed to be the vertical passer. He was supposed to be the downfield guy, the Daryl LaMonica of that draft class. But he's been bottom of the barrel. If he could just be league average and downfield passing, this team could win the division. If the Bills had Matt Ryan, they might be the Super Bowl favorite. Yeah. I mean, like that's how good they are. Yeah. They're, I love this team. They're such a physical they, – they play football that uh, so many people love the way it's played. It's just physical and nasty, and they have all the tools to do a little bit more than just be that personality. Yeah. So, yeah, it's great. So, listen, now we get, we get the Carolina Panthers, Mark. What comes to mind for you with this team? I mean, I want to see Joe Brady's offense in the NFL. I mean, I'm very curious to see how that translates. Last year at LSU, five-way protection schemes, I think 83% of the time. Like, you're going to see a lot of Christian McCaffrey out of the backfield, Curtis Samuel, DJ Moore. And I think this is an an offense that Teddy Bridgewater can run and run effectively. He's going to be familiar with it. These guys spent time together down in New Orleans. So I want to see this offense. I I think – this offense will be better than people expect. A lot of people look at Carolina and think two and fourteen, and they might end up two and fourteen. But I think this offense can be quietly good, and I think it might be a situation where they face a tough decision next draft cycle. Do they give up on Bridgewater if the offense is as good as we think it could be, or do they and draft a quarterback, or do they go somewhere else? That might be a pretty good position to be in if you're Matt Rule. Yeah, I think so, and it's one of those situations where. I think Bridgewater is the question mark there. It's like, you know he's going to be decent in the short and intermediate passing game. He'll be good buying time. Can he throw the deep ball with what Joe Brady wants his quarterbacks to do? Because when you watch Joe Burrow, what came to mind for me was, oh, he's Teddy Bridgewater in a sense in terms of the style of play that they have, the strengths and weaknesses. There were certain things that they had certain things in common. And, you know, as a side note, I know a lot of people will ask me this because, you know, I had a very high rating for Will Greer in the RSB. And I think what came out last year was he didn't basically, or came out this year, it's always a year later. They always tell you the truth a year later, which is basically he didn't prepare. He didn't prepare to be the number two quarterback. So, you know, I think he would have to, it would take a Bridgewater injury and Greer to just light it up and for them to win games for Greer to get a shot as a starter in on this team or in this league because he's probably earned the reputation of being a slacker and as a result of that that means maybe will you maybe we'll let him compete for um you know backup role but he's basically at best going the Brian Hoyer route um you know in this league unless he gets a shot and then just blows it out of the water yeah I think that's right yeah so, what about the Cleveland Browns? No, Cincinnati Bengals. We got to go in alphabetical order here. Wait, don't we have the Chicago Bears? Oh, yeah, we do have them. That's I mean, right. I know you want to duck Mitchell Trubisky because believe yes. me, I do too. Yeah. But I think the question to Chicago is this. Three and a half games, the over-under for Trubisky. Are you taking the over or are you taking the under? I'm taking the under. I'm yeah. totally taking the under. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I, 
he might be look this might be i was on a, a, a chicago bears podcast with jj stankowitz who covers the bears for the sun times or one of the outlets up there and he had previously covered notre dame and brian kelly we know how brian kelly handles quarterbacks and jj basically said this might be like a notre dame week one game where kelly sits the starter down at halftime and the other guy takes over for the second half it might be forget three and a half games it might be half a game yeah and it's one of those situations that I mean, I laugh because every time I think of Mitchell Trubisky, you know, you, you've got Eli Manning face. Well, Mitchell Trubisky has a Mitchell Trubisky face, and it yeah. reminds me of the M. Night Shyamalan movie. Uh, um, oh, God. <laughs> um, Sixth Sense, yep. where that little actor kid, the obnoxious actor kid who locks people. him. Tom, yeah, the, the, the obnoxious one who, like, who's, like, plays the child actor, Tommy Tomasino. And then yeah. he looks, and then basically, you know, the... The star basically takes his part in the play, and Tommy looks like just utterly stunned that, like, dumbstruck that he's been basically um, Wally Pipped, basically yep. in that sense. That that's Mitchell Trubisky after every interception. I just see right. that face. He's like Tommy Tomasino. So, yeah, I'm 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 just, but I don't think they have a, I, I don't think they have a kid who sees dead people. So you know, no. I think they're in a they're in a bad they're in bad shape. I think they. They might be the dead people in this, in this particular be. story. So, yeah, I'm honestly, I think the only question I I would have outside of that um, that is legit is, and and we won't know with Der David Montgomery because he's already kind of hurt. So I'm going to see if they can actually draft a tight end because my bet is that they can't. Speaking of Notre Dame, um, I'm Cole not Komet. a big Cole Komet fan. I think he's no. like he's like competent at everything for the college game. And everything that's important to what you're supposed to do in the NFL as a blocker, route runner, receiver, pass catcher, um, there's something missing. So uh, I'm I, I think their best tight end on the roster might be Demetrius Harris, um, yeah. who's their number three guy. So it'll be interesting to see. Now we come to the Cincinnati Bengals. Get back to the AFC North where we belong. You know the the NFC North. I don't know they're what would be the game of thrones equivalent of the nfc north right now they're not the wildlings that's for sure they they i don't know what they are they're I, oh man i mean it's probably you know forget the wildlings it's like north of the wall yeah i mean that's the afc yeah. north i mean the nfc north um as as far as the bengals t higgins like i know a lot of people want to talk about joe burrow and i think that's what it makes some sense um, but I liked T. Higgins. Uh, I thought he got a bit of a bum rap coming out of Clemson. I'm very curious to see how much of a role he has in this offense because this is an offense that, you know, offensive line questions aside, could be sneaky good this year. But how much of a role is T. Higgins going to play in that offense? That's what I'm curious to see. What about you? Yeah, I'm I'm mostly curious about this offensive line because yeah. I keep hearing raves about Joe Burrow, but then I keep hearing about Joe Burrow and how much time he had to buy um, again when they actually had scrimmages. And I'm thinking that um, I would much rather have Tua Tagovailoa this year at the end of the year as a fantasy player, even though Joe Burrow might be the better quarterback, depending on how you look at it, or the more NFL-ready guy. But, you know, I think Chan Gailey will be able to use Tua Tagovailoa by moving him outside the pocket, and they have a better offensive line for him to work with to do the things that he does well. I don't know if Joe Burrow will be in a position to do anything well if this offensive line doesn't hold up, and I'm not confident in that, so I'm 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 kind of in wait and see mode here with that. No. So Matt, your Cleveland Browns, 
Is this a year they finally put it together? Is this a year Baker figures it out under Kevin Stefanski? What's bugging you about Cleveland? Well, that is, and 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 the answer is no. I don't believe that. But really? I, yeah, I don't. I I think he'll be efficient, but I think they're going to be in a situation where Baker Mayfield's going to lose them some games, and they're going to go to Case Keenum, and then they really? yeah now. That's kind of where I'm at. I'm just, I'm just not a. I don't think Baker can step up in the pocket. I don't think Baker Mayfield is, um, just as a very good pocket manager. And I think that he's late with throws, and it's, and and I think this is going to continue to screw with him in big moments. And they're going to be closer to winning games where it's going to matter, and he's gonna, he's gonna have issues. And I think they're going to say, you know what, that Trey Lance kid looks pretty good. And oh, yeah. he'd look he'd fit pretty good in that Cleveland Brown system. And this is wishful thinking for me, obviously. So the real the real answer to me is how soon is Harrison Bryant gonna get on the field as the second tight end? And 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 what will they get for David and Joku, if anything? Um, you know, what team I, to me, I would say right now, you could probably get a you could probably get a King's ransom from the Chicago Bears. If you oh, yeah. traded them, David and Joku, because they have more tight ends than anybody, and they're and they they're attracted and they're attracted to bad tight ends. So it's like this this would be a good situation for them. But yeah, to me, Harrison Bryant, I think this guy could be a very good player in this offense, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he does. How about you? Yeah, I, I mean, I think you know I'm very intrigued by Harrison Bryant in this system, and we know Kevin Stefanski is going to run a lot of twelve personnel, so you're going to need two good tight ends. And I'm very curious to see if that is the case when Njoku ends up. I'm, I'm surprised in a sense by your thoughts on Mayfield just because of what Stefanski was able to do with Kirk Cousins. But I think the concerns you have about Baker, the pocket management or pocket mismanagement, the tendency to be so late on reads, and the fact that he still continues to see chaos in the pocket, it while Stefanski's system should be an environment where Baker could thrive, it could also be an environment where he could completely crash and burn. And it's quite possible that he does go that route. I might be a bit more optimistic than you are on him, but I can totally see where, you know, come November, December, we're like, okay, it's Trey Lance time. Yeah. And and I think you're I think you're totally right to to have a little more optimism when you look at what's going on with Cousins. I think the only difference with Cousins is that his problem always was he tried to be the elite quarterback arm from the pocket in situations that he shouldn't. He had decent pocket presence. It was just in the extreme situations three to four times a game where he should have just thrown the ball away rather than try to make the hero throw, and he didn't have the hero arm. So, right. and then and then the occasional real dumbass decision that he would make, you know, that that people have shown highlights of, you know, with some of the crazy stuff. But but I think on the whole, he was a little more sharper. No, a team that's sharp and ready to go, and they look like this offense is going to be unbelievable, and they certainly have some guys on defense that, that are promising, if not really good. That's the Dallas Cowboys. How about them Cowboys? I mean, I think the big question for a lot of people is, is this 11 personnel package going to be the best in the league? Because when you think about it, CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup, Amari Cooper, Blake Jarwin. I mean, it doesn't even matter who the tight end is, really. But he could be pretty good. Ezekiel Elliott and Dak Prescott playing for a new deal. Like, this could be the best 11 personnel package in the league. And so I want to see if it lives up to that hype. We're hearing that, you know, Cooper might be a little dinged up, but he should be ready to go. Um, CeeDee Lamb has gotten some pretty good reviews, and I think falling to Dallas was an absolute dream for Jerry, who's going to be excited about that. Is this the best 11 personnel package in the league? 
Yeah, and I think the answer is yes. I think it will be, even though I think Michael Gallup's a little overrated, but at the same time, I think CeeDee Lamb's actually still underrated. I think they're going to find out right quick and in a hurry that this guy's probably one of the top 15 receivers in the league right off the bat. I think he's that good. Um, I think he'll be that good. So the question for me is really the offensive line. Can they stay? Um, you, you know, Joe Looney has, they. I think they've seen improvement with him at center and they feel okay with him. But I'm kind of interested in Tyler Beadaz because this was a, this guy was an award-winning college football player before his hip surgery. Yeah. yeah, and he was, and he could be a steal at center if he's healthy enough and that athletic ability is back after another year. I mean, they they won that they they won that bet with Jalen Smith a few years several years ago with him at linebacker. Maybe yeah. they win it with Beadaz, and if they do, man, oh my God, that's a great pick. Yeah, I mean, but another team that maybe not in 2020, but perhaps down the road could make a claim for that best 11 personnel package, Denver Broncos. I kind of like what they did in this offseason, but what about you, Matt? What do you think about when you think of Denver? I think of Chewy, which is Albert Okwabunum, or how do you pronounce his name? Albert O! Yeah, I'm a big Albert O fan. I think that his route running um, was mischaracterized in a lot of communities about what he can and can't do. I think he's very good underneath. We know he can win the ball, um, you know, in contested situations, and we know he can run fast. And they're already talking about him pushing Noah Fant because as the same guy, you know, last year I looked at Noah Fant and I'm like, well, they schemed him open a lot. He's a great athlete, but he fights the ball. He's still doing math trying to catch the football. He's not the greatest route runner. He makes kind of some focus errors and dumb mistakes. And I think Albert O is going to be a guy – that I would be surprised if he overtakes Fenton within a year or two and winds up being the guy there. And Drew Locke asked for him specifically, and he's performing to that standard in camp. So he's going to get a lot of easy looks this year. And if he makes good on those, they'll keep ratcheting up the difficulty level to see if he can handle it. And I think he will. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's interesting because, you know, Fenton was somebody I really liked coming up, but I liked Albert O too, so I'm excited to see that play out. And, oh, and a lot of people might think, oh, the big question here is Drew Locke, and it might be, you know, he's also a contender for that year two leap. But I'm wondering about the center spot, believe it or not. Lloyd Cushenberry, third-round pick out of LSU. Yeah. He did some nice things at center. He won that job. You know, is he going to be able to handle life as a center in the AFC West? You think about all – you know, not to face Vaughn Miller now, but all the protection calls you're going to have to make, everything that's going to get put on his plate, second-year quarterback, rookie center, second-year left guard of Dalton Reisner. I mean, that's a young interior. Um, so I'm curious to see how they handle a lot of the pressure looks they're going to be getting in the AFC West. So I'm curious to see how he holds up. Yeah, and Chris Jones is probably chanting fresh fish about right now. Oh, yeah. So that should be – that's going to be a fun matchup when that happens. Now, a fun team to me – and it's just fun because for so many reasons is the Detroit Lions I mean what comes to mind for you when you think about Detroit right now does Kenny Galladay become a household name I mean it's it's amazing to see sort of how he's viewed in and around whether it's people that cover the sport people that are just fans of the sport I mean I had my home league draft last night and Galladay was just falling down the board and I'm just like I can't believe this you know you know, because as, as people that live this stuff, you know, we have an appreciation for Galladay. You know, but does he become a household name this year? Do, do people finally realize what he brings to the table? I mean, when you look at, I forget who tweeted out the stat, but, you know, receivers that are still in their rookie deal with more than, I think, 4,000 yards receiver or something like that, it was Galladay. That was it. 
Um, he's a tremendous receiver. And does he finally sort of, you know, get the credence and the kudos that he's earned through his short time in the league? See, I'm not sure which Iron Man I'm more interested in, like, in, in right now to put it as my priority because there's that 57 Chevy in the land of Miatas called Adrian Peterson who, yeah. like, is on that team. But I'm more interested in the younger version of, like, the uh, of the, the kind of Iron Man type of football player that seems to have come out who continues to, like, treat Jeffrey Okuda like a stepchild. Um, and that's Quintez Cephas. I mean, yeah. he's had a nice camp. Um, you know, my, my buddy Bob Henry, our buddy Bob Henry over at Football Guys, jokes around and calls him Baby Gates. Um, and he's... You know, he's reminding them of Anquan Bolden, you know, uh, yeah. in terms of his play. I'm interested to see how much playing time he actually gets because I think if he's a guy that not only can be a big slot for them and be good and give you maybe four or 600 yards this year, but if either Galladay or Jones gets hurt, I think he's quick enough and fast enough and runs good enough routes that he could hang on the outside if they need him to. It may not be the ideal spot for him, but I think he can be that kind of Juju Smith-Schuster, Michael Thomas hybrid type of player in terms of that style of player. Not necessarily production, but style. Right. But eventually production, I think he can be really he can be somewhere in that realm of or at least maybe move into the next zip code over with those guys. Um, very good with his hands in terms of being able to uh, to get open and and work at the top of his his stems against tight man coverage and boy does he win contested plays and he he made Troy die the Minnesota linebacker or at least the 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 wannabe Minnesota linebacker look like a wannabe linebacker in the Rose Bowl this is a guy that I can't wait to see um, how fast he can grow up in this Lions scheme so Matt first night of the NFL draft you Sigmund Bloom myself we were stunned when the Green Bay Packers drafted Jordan Love in the first round, still one of the shockers of this past draft. He didn't seem to have a great camp. Might be QB3 right now, but is he the biggest story out of Green Bay right now? I don't know. I I don't think so, but he yeah, might he be. might be to the people in Green Bay, but I think anybody else who's been watching Jordan Love, the answer is probably no. Um, though maybe, maybe some analysts are crying in their milk right now. I don't know. Um, I think for me, the interesting thing is how fast will A.J. Dillon grow up within the next um, six to eight weeks? Because right now, he didn't. there wasn't much said about him in camp. Um, but from what I've seen and experienced with Green Bay running backs in general, they, they tend to bring those guys along a little bit slower at times, and then those guys work their way in. Um, I think that I, I think Dillon has the ability to cut into Aaron Jones's time significantly if given that opportunity. Um, it's just going to come down to, I guess, pass pro and 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 his knowledge of routes. But I think I I wouldn't be shocked at all if by the end of the month people are like, well, Aaron Jones and those 16 touchdowns he had last year, we were, you know, none of us were expecting that as a repeat, but we were at least expecting 8 to 10, and we might not be even expecting half that. I'm, I'm interested to see whether that um, unfolds. How about you, Mark? Who other than Devontae Adams is catching passes in this offense? And, you know, a lot of the reasons why people were stunned when they drafted Jordan Love was we all thought wide receiver made much more sense for this team, given the needs that they have. You know, we've heard nice things about MVS. We've heard some nice things about Equimania St. Brown in camp. You know, the tight end position, Mercedes Lewis, Jay Sternberger. Like, they're just their question marks 
at the skill position receiving spots outside of Devontae Adams, I think. And now we know that, look, Matt LaFleur wants to be a more San Francisco type of offense, 21 personnel. They drafted drafted Josh DeGuara to be that sort of Kyle Juszczyk type of player. They're going to set up play action. Two years ago, Rodgers was woeful using play action. You saw his completion percentage of his yards per attempt drop using play action versus non-play action. He was in the same category in that respect as Mitchell Trubisky, which is, as we know, a place you don't want to be. And so can they find somebody for Rodgers to throw to outside of Devontae Adams? I'm not sure that person's on the roster right now. Yeah, I mean, either, though, you know, Aaron did mistake Robert Tanyan for Jordy Nelson, at least on one deep ball down the field. Yeah. Maybe maybe he can continue to give Aaron some sort of level of, um, you know, delusions that are delusions of grandeur there. But I, I, I'm with you there. How about the Houston, Texas Texans? They played a night against um, Kansas City. Um, what comes to mind for you in terms of how this team looks for the season? I mean, obviously, look, he's become a bit of a punching bag over the past couple of months. Bill O'Brien and the decisions that he's made, you know, trading DeAndre Hopkins, you know, taking on, you know, David Johnson's contract in that trade, some of the other moves that they've made. But putting that to the side, you still have a guy that we both liked to different degrees, but we both like this kid, and that's Deshaun Watson. And is this the year he just got the big contract extension? Is this the year where Watson wills them to a playoff win or two? Much like you could make the argument he willed Clemson to that national championship game, that win over Alabama. I love Deshaun Watson. I love the kid since he was at Clemson. I think this is a year that despite all the question marks about Bill O'Brien, and a lot of people are looking at, say, Houston and Tennessee in that division, I still believe in Deshaun Watson. So that's what I want to watch. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that too. And he'll need to because with yep. the Hopkins gone, who's the guy that's going to be the complete receiver who's going to be on the field down in and down out? Will Fuller is that candidate if he could stay healthy. I think and he pulled the hamstring while we were recording this. I think so too. And Brandon Cooks is a good player, but the reason he gets passed around so much is that he's not a complete number one. He has certain things he does well. He's like... He, you could say he's like DK Metcalf, not in a literal sense, but in a, in a figurative sense in that you give him a select things to do and he does them extremely well and he can do it at a level of production that, that's very strong for you, but that doesn't make him a complete option. And so really, do they have someone who can step up in that regard? And I don't think they do. It's going to be up to Will Fuller to show this. And I think that... You know, it's a shame that they didn't draft a receiver themselves, I think, this year. I mean, yes, they drafted Isaiah Coulter, but they drafted one of those marquee guys. Yeah. Matt, a team that a lot of people look at in that AFC South to perhaps get back to the playoffs, the Indianapolis Colts. They've got Phillip Rivers in town. A lot of people like Jonathan Taylor. Are those the stories you're going to be watching, or is it something else? Well, yeah, I think I will be. And um, yeah. I think I'm, I love Jonathan Taylor and I love what's going on with that um, in terms of, I think that's just a matter of time that he'll be the, the starter. But the guy I'm most interested in seeing is Paris Campbell. Can mm -hmm. he be yeah. the Keenan Allen role player in this offense? Because if he can, he could really open things up for them with what they want to do out of 11 personnel and give them a dynamic option in a way that really would help this play action game a great deal. I mean, this would this would make Jonathan Taylor even more dangerous. So I'm curious about that. What about you, Mark? 
I'm going to talk defense for a second because obviously, look, you Philip Rivers. You know, I like a lot of what Indianapolis did. You know, Paris Campbell's a great, you know, player that could be a great player for them. Michael Pittman, I think, was a great pick for them in the second round. Malik Hooker, you know, an Ohio State product, a safety, had an injury early in his career. Looked like it could be that sort of Earl Thomas type, versatile, you know, free safety that could still come down to the box at times. Indianapolis declined his fifth-year option. It's now a pivotal season for him. How does he sort of handle that? How does he respond? This is a team that could be good defensively. Obviously, the trade for DeForest Buckner. Darius Leonard is one of the league's best young linebackers. They have some intriguing pieces in the secondary. Xavier Rhodes coming over. Kenny Moore, who might be one of the best slot corners of the game right now. But Malik Hooker in that free safety spot. How does he respond to that decision this offseason? Does he handle it well? Does he persevere? Does he earn himself a big contract or does it go the other way that's what i'll be watching there yeah absolutely and it's interesting because the another player on that defense that i'm keeping on is bobby okarike because he's kind of a hidden gem who might end up getting more of a three down role in that team and you know he's with anthony walker and he's kind of swapping time with him but i think okarike could be a really nice factor for this team if he if he develops along those lines yeah, I think so, too. That brings us to Jacksonville, a team that is technically an NFL team, Matt. What do we have to say about the Jaguars? I'm just, it's just, it was, it dawned on me because Daniel Simpkins in our roundtable at Football Guys this week mentioned the fact that the NFLPA advised people signing with the Jag, Jacksonville Jaguars. That's unprecedented. So the fact that they advised against that, um, I'm waiting to see what happens with the coaching staff and the general manager. I think to me that that's the biggest story, but on the field, I, I guess what I'll say is I can't wait to see LaVisca Chenault used in a variety of different ways. And I, you know, the way he's played in camp, you know, I'm, I, I think that this guy could be a, a big time option from the slot from flanker, as well as from the backfield this year. And can he just stay healthy? Will they run his ass into the ground like Colorado did, or will right. he be he? Will, or will they treat him more like a wide receiver? I hope they do, um, because I think he could be a star. Yeah, and I got Chenault in the last round of my home league draft last night, and it felt like absolute robbery. But I know those guys listen to this show, so hey, guys, good job last night. Um, what I do <laughs> want to say about this, this this team is Gardner Minshew. Like, look, we had varied opinions of Gardner when he came out. I liked his footwork. You didn't like his footwork. We both had reasons for that, and both of them were completely valid reasons because I liked it in the pocket. You didn't like it outside of the pocket. And I think you're completely right about that. But he's the guy right now. Does it stay that way? A lot of people are making the same noises they made about Miami last year and taking for Tua. But this isn't Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think there's something to Gardner. Me too. And if if this is, you know, as we talked about, as I talked about with Carolina, if the offense is better than expected and Jay Gruden is, I think, a, a nice fit for Gardner, do they look at, you know, even if they finish 2-14, and 3-13, you know, passing on a, a, a Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields or Trey Lance because they like what they see from Gardner. So that's what I'll be curious to watch. I like it. I drafted Gardner as my second quarterback in the Superflex League in our football guys league, and I felt quite happy about that yeah. as, as a guy to pair with Tom Brady. So um, here we go. Now we're looking, and we got none other than the Kansas City Chiefs, Mark. What's on your mind when you look at Kansas City? 
I mean, how? What's the ceiling for this offense? I mean, because it was a quintessential Eric Bieniemy, Andy Reid type of decision when at the end of the first round, Ceh is staring them in the face and they don't hesitate and they draft a running back in the first round, and analytics and metrics, Twitter loses their mind. But you look at the potential fit around, you know, Patrick Mahomes and Sammy Watkins and Tyree Kill and Michael Hardman and Travis Kelsey. You drop him into that offense. I mean, forget it. Just how good is this offense going to be? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Uh, I think probably the, the the interesting sideshow for me is not Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I mean, that, that's been discussed so much. I'll say Michael Hardman. Can this guy grow into being a complete receiver? I haven't. I didn't think he really was one, but he's so speedy and he's such a difference maker because of that and the way that he fits in this offense that they can afford him to be kind of a one-dimensional or two-dimensional player. I'm interested to see if he can bring those added dimensions to the table and show signs of development. Yeah. All right. And that brings us to the Las Vegas Raiders. First year for the Raiders in the desert. Is Derek Carr going to hold on to the job? perhaps, given Marcus Mariota's injury. But Matt, is quarterback your biggest question there? Um, no. I think for me, the probably the biggest question for this team is can they, you know, can they get some growth with their linebackers here? Do they have, you know, the linebacking core to cover downfield? Do they have the you know, ability to cover tight ends? Can they, you know, I look at Nick Kwiatkowski, and, you know, he's a solid player. You know, Raekwon McMillan they traded for. Okay, fine. You know, Tanner Muse, who was basically a, a great athlete who, you know, had issues being a safety. I think, you know, when you really look at what he could do as a pro, so they moved him to linebacker. Um, I just don't think this back seven, it's really the back seven for me. I, I, I think this back seven, the better they can be, the more likely this team can compete for uh, a playoff spot. But I don't see it happening, and I'm concerned about really the linebacker core most of all. Yeah. I mean, I'm very curious about the wide receiver room. I mean, Hunter Renfro is a nice slot piece. Henry Ruggs obviously has speed to burn. Derek Carr seems excited about Brian Edwards. How does that group, because if that is indeed their starting trio of receivers – how does that young group fare in a John Gruden offense when so much of it is based on precision, on adjustments, on option routes and things like that? How is that going to pan out? And if it doesn't pan out well, what does that then mean for Derek Carr? That's what I'm curious to see. Yeah, that's true. And is and Marcus Mariota on IR means Nathan Peterman. How in the world... In the year of our Lord, 2020, is Nathan Peterman a backup quarterback in the NFL? You know, all I can say is that, you know, uh, draft capital still probably haunts a lot of teams. It certainly does. That whole nature of draft capital. Good money and good draft capital after bad. Yeah, exactly. Los Angeles Rams. All right. So, Mark, is the story here the backfield? Is it the fact that... Um, ESPN has a, you know, you know, seems to <laughs> is, seems to have Aaron a new Donald metric. Average run defender. You know, is that yeah. The is that the story here, or is it? I, is fine. It something I'm gonna. Else? I'm gonna. I get a phone call on Tuesday afternoon from our good friend Doug Farrar, who right. I work with over at Touchdown Down Wire, and we had been sending DMs back and forth, 
and I've been begging off touching that Aaron Donald story. And he calls me and he's like, I'm going to do something that I don't like doing, but I'm going to overrule you and make you write about this. And so fine, I'll talk about it for a second because yes, they de- debuted over at ESPN, this run stop win rate that showed that according to that metric, that Aaron Donald was below average in that metric, which they created. And therefore they made the conclusion that Aaron Donald is an average run defender. And folks, can we, take a step back he may be average in this metric that they created but it doesn't mean that he's an average run defender because when you watch him on film he obliterates every single gap sometimes to the point where yes he runs by the play because he's so fast i actually in the article i wrote i started with an outside zone play against carolina where he is in the backfield so fast that christian mccaffrey literally, literally just runs behind him but the thing is They'll live with that. Why? Because on the times when he does connect, he will blow plays up. And Nate Tice, who covers the league, he co-hosts the Athletics NFL Monday show with uh, Robert Mays. He likened him to a home run hitter in baseball. You'll live with the strikeouts because when he does connect, he's going to hit bombs for you. And he does it, to use the baseball analogy, 50 to 60 times a year. And so the Rams are happy with him being in the terms of this metric, an average run defender, because it will sometimes lead to stops for six yards behind the line of scrimmage. And oh, by the way, if this is the passive league that we all believe it to be, that penetration's more critical on passive downs. So yeah. then, yeah, I so just had to go there. That's okay, because I got a response from somebody who's a veteran of um, working in the league in a capacity that's meaningful, not a gopher not an admin, and those are meaningful jobs, but meaningful in the sense that they know what they're talking about when they're talking about the actual game. And they basically said to me, it was nice to see the staff at ESPN um, hasn't tempered their ego at all, um, and nor have they learned anything about the game from a coach's perspective. Um, right. And that the thread on Twitter for on, on run game wins was just like by defensive linemen was wow funny as all get out so um that's just a response from one person who i would say um probably knows more about football than most people i ever talked to um so (laughs) i'll just put it that way from that standpoint and you didn't need that kind of person to actually (laughs) with that kind of clout to actually say that thing but for the rams I, i think i'm most interested in um probably just this offensive line and and really more actually no it goes deeper than that sean mcveigh what's he gonna do they run in gap or they run in zone are they gonna go back to zone and have the teams like you know use use alignments that you don't usually see in the nfl to stop them and still make it that obvious that oh you know maybe you should switch up what you're doing or is he gonna go back to what he wanted to do before i i just have no idea i i you know, I mean, right now, what I see from him, and this is harsh, but I see a really intelligent man as a coach who, who, whose wisdom may be lacking a bit, you know, and you don't want that because otherwise all that intelligence of remembering plays and recall and all the different things you do, that just becomes parlor tricks. You don't want to be, a, you don't want to be doing parlor tricks. You want to actually have a gig, you know? So I, I don't know. This is going to be fascinating to me about what they decide. But Matt, he listed off all eleven starters of the Bears defense. Remember that? Oh, he did. That's right. I mean, the media must have been impressed. 
I mean, wow. I mean, I'm sure that oh, I'm sure man. some 50, I'm sure some like 30 year veteran beat writer probably choked on a donut hole while he heard hearing that and was so impressed, you know? God. Oh man. I love the stuff we talk about, but there's another team in LA, Los Angeles chargers. Matt, are you excited about the debut at some point of Justin Herbert, Tyrod Taylor, keeping that job or something else? It would just be fun to see Easton Stick get thrown out there, but <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but I I'm really I'm really more interested to see it, you know about jo is Joshua Kelly. I'm a big Joshua Kelly fan. I think this guy has a little Terrell Davis in his game in terms of the way that he plays the game. I think he's a physical player with better speed than you would expect. I think he's very smart in terms of reading the field, um, especially dealing with Chip Kelly's offense where. Everything was really condensed, and he often played in 22 and 23 personnel sets with, uh, you know, really densely packed run boxes, and he did a strong job with that. And I know that everyone's like Austin Eckler, they're excited about him because of what he did last year. And then then I'm seeing the Austin Eckler is ripped kind of like thing going everywhere where they're showing him doing the one-arm pull-ups, and he's got the body of a supermodel now, and he looks like you know, like a, a mini version of Conan the Barbarian. And people are like, he's just going to run through people. And I just want to remind people that um, just because you're just because you're jacked in terms of like your muscles doesn't mean that makes you any better of a football player. Maybe make you a little better conditioned. He's a really good football player. But saying that he's going to run through people and he's going to be much more powerful because he's, you know, much more cut it's kind of like the. I just really want to remind you in boxing, there are a lot of boxers who can't punch worth a crap and they're muscle bound. And there's guys who look just slightly, slightly better dad bods um, than me and can actually, and actually can just knock the shit out of somebody. Yep. So I'm just, I, I think that the Austin Eckler hype has gone a little bit off the rails. He's a very good player, but. I'm interested to see Joshua Kelly because Joshua Kelly may not have Austin Eckler's body at this point, but he'll knock you the fuck out in terms of what he can do. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that will be fascinating to watch. I'm curious to see Kenneth Murray. You know, they traded up into the first round to draft a linebacker out of Oklahoma who could be a heat-seeking missile at times, but there were other times where it seemed like he had no idea where he needed to be in terms of his gap responsibilities. How does that kind of linebacker work in today's NFL? Maybe it's the right bet because I think in today's NFL, you want to sort of bet on athleticism at the second level and sort of let the knowledge of the game then come to you, get the athletic guy that can sort of hopefully figure it out. Maybe that's the right play, but I'm curious to see if that move, trading up into the first round to get a linebacker out of a Big 12 defense, makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's it's going to be interesting because he might be the uh, the Anthony McFarlane of linebackers. You know, he in might terms be. Of, with that sense of like all charge, you know, no compass. But if he, yeah, if they either, both of those guys can get their compasses on their respective sides of the line of scrimmage, that could be something. So let's get into new into um minnesota here we got minnesota as our as our next team i believe yeah minnesota so what you know what's the story here are they going to revamp their offense a little bit under kubiak and throw the ball a little bit more um or is this something where we're gonna see it more the same from last year mark or is there something else I mean, I think, you know, we are going to see it a sense more of the same because you look at Kevin Stefanski's offense, so much of what they did last year was 
outside zone, wide zone based stuff and the boot action off of that, which is Gary Kubiak to a T in a sense. And so I think there will be a lot of carryover between the, the offense last year and the offense this year, which leads me to Justin Jefferson, who was like hands down my favorite receiver after the big three. I love Justin Jefferson. I love his tenacity. I love his willingness to play over the middle. A lot of questions about can he play on the outside? Can he beat press coverage? I think he can. Others think he can't. We're going to see because you're going to see a ton of it in the NFL. You know, they do run a lot of 12 personnel. They might use him more as, uh, you know, in that sort of flanker type alignment, but he will still see press there. And how does he thrive or not in that sort of environment? But what about you? I think everybody seems to be ready for Irv Smith to break out in the fantasy football community. Yeah. Um, but they seem to forget that Kyle Rudolph's still there. And so I'm interested, you know, I love Irv Smith. I think that there's a lot that he can turn into a really nice, complete tight end. But is his role going to be, are they really giving him a new role? Or is it? are people just hoping that he's going to get that because Stefan Diggs is gone and he's their next favorite player of ability that they think somehow deserves it? And I don't think deserves has anything to do with it from a standpoint of just like he's been there, so we're going to give it to him. So I'm interested to see how this tight end, this tight end dynamic plays out. Another interesting dynamic, Matt. The question in front of Brian Flores right now with Tua Tagovailoa: How quickly does he see the field? Is Tua the big story in Miami, or is it something else? Well, I'm. You know, you smoothly did. You did a good job smoothly showing that I went out of alphabetical order. <laughs> We're just backing each other Which, up here. I friend. appreciate it, man, but I got to call myself out on that. But I do think that they will be, you know, with, I mean, with Chan Gailey as, you know, the offensive coordinator and them talking about how much, how more, how much, how complex this offense was last year and how confusing it was for a lot of guys. And now they're bringing in Gailey, who simplifies things and seems to allow players to do what they do best. Um, I think this offense is going to be very good. And I think, you know, if Tyler Thigpen could do what he did in Buffalo, I think Tua Tagovailoa doesn't need to be like the complete rookie quarterback prospect that, you know, some people are arguing that he is or isn't um, to be good. I think he's going to be, I think he's got all the tools that he needs to be a, a good down the stretch. And they're going to be able to give him, you know, half of the field to read and, and be able to work you know, off that play action and be able to throw an attack. And he has the the weapons to be able to go up and get the ball and, and make plays after the catch. So I'm excited about that. That's kind of where I'm looking at. Mark, I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I, I mean, look, I, I think Tua is the big story and the, the biggest sort of question mark face in Miami this year is, you know, how soon does he see the field? But I want to talk about this defense because – we all know Brian Flores, his defensive background, Josh Boyer as well. You know, they're rooting a lot of what they did when they, they were when they were with the Patriots. You look at what they've got on paper right now. This could be a great Patriots defense in a sense because you've got the man coverage corners, Byron Jones, who they signed, Xavier Howard, he's been dealing with an injury. So, you know, when he sees the field, there's a bit of a question mark. But with them and then Noah Igbenogeni, the kid from Auburn, I know, I just butchered it. I learned his pronunciation. I just butchered it, I know. Um, you've got three great coverage corners. And then you get Bobby McCain, Eric Rowe at the safety spot. They added a Landon Roberts and Kyle Van Noy from New England. This could be like a very good defense starting on Sunday. And so you look at what they've put together on the defensive side of the ball, then you start looking at, you know, outside of the quarterback position on offense, they've put some guys in. You know, Solomon Kinley's gotten some rave reviews. He's won that right guard spot. Eric Flowers, 
tanked at the tackle, but could be a good guard now. He got himself a nice payday from Miami. This could be a better team quicker than people expect, especially with this defense. Well, let's go to a little bit. Let's go a little bit further north, a little northwest, and go to New Orleans. And what do you think of you know with this team when you when you look at this roster? Well, I mean, I think when you look at New Orleans, is this Drew Brees' final ride? And if so, did they do enough to get him help in the form of Emmanuel Sanders? And I think they did. I think you look at this offense last year, they just needed that one running mate for Michael Thomas across from him, somebody else to draw attention, somebody else to maybe bring some attention away from Michael Thomas, somebody else to force you to maybe play some cover two or force you to do some different things and not just dedicate resources to Michael Thomas and, yes, Alvin Kamara. And I think Sanders is that piece. I love that acquisition. I think it was such a great move for New Orleans. Look, the fact that they were even sniffing around Jadavion Clowney makes me think that Sean Payton, is he knows this is probably the final ride for Drew Brees. He wants to get one more Super Bowl with him. So I think Sanders was a huge get for them. Yeah, I agree. I think that was a game changer, and it actually tilted the, the landscape of the, the NFC South and the NFC West as a result of that. I think it's going to, I think it's really going to hurt the 49ers that they, that they got rid of. I, all this talk about Brandon Ayuk, let me tell you something. That's nice that Brandon Ayuk can do 90% of what Emmanuel Sanders can do um, on, on paper, but that 10% is going to be the difference making that, that gets you into the playoffs and keeps you moving along. I think I, to me, at, we talked about Adam Trotman on the last time we had a, yep. we met up, and he's performed well. And you, I've been quoting you and talking about your interview at the Senior Bowl with him and how advanced he was with assignments and and being able to read the, you know coverage and being able to look see the field. And they're talking about him as like he absorbs information like a veteran. He's not a rookie in the way that he he learns things. Um, and Jared Cook, let's be honest, Jared Cook's the deep threat in this offense. I mean, certainly Emmanuel Sanders will be one. Um, to a degree, but it's Jared Cook who averaged 16.4 yards per catch last year. Probably will do it again. They're going to run more 12 personnel if they can. If yeah. Trotman can work with his hand in the dirt or in the turf, and I think that Trotman's a guy that could have a lot of free parking in terms of like if we're playing a little monopoly here, he's going to get he's going to land on that free parking an awful lot, you know, and it's going to be the you know could be a Hunter Henry situation all over again with. Hunter in his first year with Antonio Gates just basically going here I am you know yep it's me so let's move on we got the New York Giants yeah you hey listen if there's anybody who's qualified to talk about the New York Giants on this show it is you yeah and I I think the question there is we've seen it before young quarterbacks having to play in different systems every single year Year two of Daniel Jones, year three to different offense because obviously he had Cutcliffe out of Duke and then last year with Pat Shermer and now this year with Jason Garrett. And the strange offseason this has been, is Daniel Jones going to be ready to go and know enough of this offense to be effective in 2020? I think that's that for me is the biggest question. I, I agree. I think it's kind of like he's kind of the theory of like, can you develop – can you develop sight and feel in the pocket and when you don't have it um, when you enter the NFL? I think that's the big question, and I'm interested to see the answer to that one. New York Matt, Jets, right? Well, New England Patriots. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Is Cam Newton the big question there? He seems to be the big question for everybody. Bill Belichick's excited. But what's Matt thinking about when it comes to the New England Patriots? I mean, I think – 
you know, for this team, it's the tight ends. You know, is yeah. Devin Asiasi and Dalton Keene, can both of those guys step up as rookies in a very difficult position and be a part of an offense where they can be factors both in the blocking game and in the receiving game? They both have talent. They're both really intriguing to me. And if they can surprise, they could help the New England Patriots surprise. Yeah. I mean, I, I think tight end, certainly a question. Wide receiver, certainly a question. You know, after the you know, seemingly panicking and trading for Muhammad Sanu and then releasing him prior to this year, you know, is Nikhil Harry going to take the leap forward? People are hoping for. How much does Julian Edelman have in the tank? Jacoby Myers, Gunnar Oshevsky, like what are the, the pieces going to be there? And then the running back position, too. You know, are we going to see the Damian Harris breakout that fantasy football Twitter? has been clamoring for for over a year now he started the season on ir but reports out of camp are that he has looked great i think harris fits better with the outside zone wide zone game we expect to see given cam newton so i think this is one of those many instances where yes fantasy football twitter was ahead of the curve get yourself some damian harris i've got some shares of him this year i think you should get some if you haven't already all right well listen i'm this is kind of flip but when I think of the New York Jets, I just think, you know, when you look at Adam Gase, is he going to make it out of there alive or is there going to be yep. a felony in the locker room? Right. Yeah, I, I think that's it. I think that's it. Yeah. I mean, because you – I mean, there are so many different ways you could go in this Adam Gase situation, but it hasn't panned out. It hasn't looked good. Le'Veon Bell seems to be losing his mind on a daily basis on social media. It just seems like a dead man walking situation, Matt. Yeah, exactly. So moving on, let's go to Philadelphia. Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah, I mean, with with Philly, the offensive line. I mean, they remade the wide receiver room this year. They seem to be wanting to be more of a downfield, aggressive passing offense. They get some birders in, you know, Quez Watkins from Southern Miss, John Hightower from Boise State. They traded from, you know, Marquise Goodwood. He obviously opted out due to COVID concerns. Um, but they're building a downfield passing game. But to do that, you need an offensive line that can protect the guy. Brandon Brooks goes down. They've had injuries. We're hearing Lane Johnson might not be able to go Sunday. Can they protect Carson Wentz? Yeah, and Carson Wentz is the big story because, listen, he was mostly healthy all year. Um, yeah. And they've worked on his drop footwork, just at least on short drops, to make sure that uh, maybe he can keep his feet a little bit better coordinated than what he has in the past. Um, can he make it two years in a row? I think to yeah. me that's the that's a big question mark because I'd like to stop worrying about him and and uh, from that perspective. Me too, my friend. But a guy that's also coming off of an injury missed pretty much all of last year's Ben Roethlisberger and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Are we going to have to see Duck Devlin Hodges again this year, Matt? Is the quarterback the question mark there, or what else? Well, does Duck Devlin Hodges look a little bit like the um, like the Magic Man from? Uh, Talladega Knights. Does he look a little oh, bit like yeah, him? Because certainly Ben looks like Will Ferrell. I think Will yeah. Ferrell could play Ben Roethlisberger. Um, oh, that would be fantastic. It would be. We could either do it in a comic role or a serious role, which yeah. is kind of sad from the standpoint of, of Ben. But um, I think the big question for me out of all of this is can Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, and Eric Ebron combine enough to, to allow Juju Smith-Schuster to roam free? Because if they can do that, then I think this offense hums with that offensive line, that potential for its run game, healthy quarterback, and an unbelievable defense. Yeah. I mean, I think, look, 
I know a lot of people are talking about Cleveland, and obviously people are talking about Baltimore. This could be a very good team in that AFC North, oh, and yeah. a team that could contend for this, you know, AFC North title. If they can keep Roethlisberger healthy, like you said, look, they've got weapons on offense, particularly if they figure out that tight end position, like you said. This is a defense that could be very good. You know, Minka Fitzpatrick was a fantastic acquisition for them. You know, Bud Dupree coming off the edge, T.J. Watt coming off the edge, Devin Bush Jr. in the middle of that, Cameron Hayward, Hayward still up front. This is a very good team on both sides of the ball that I think is in a position where if Roethlisberger stays healthy and they don't have to deal with that two-headed monster of Hodges and Mason Rudolph playing quarterback, they could win this division. Yeah, they really could. And, you know, if we were going to do Game of Thrones with this and keep with outdated references, I think Ben Roethlisberger could also be played by um, by Euron Greyjoy's uncle, Balin Greyjoy. Oh, yeah, Balin could, Greyjoy. Yeah. You know, I think Ben Roethlisberger's Balin Greyjoy would probably be a pretty good fit. That'd be fantastic. I mean, they're, they're kind of... Steelers kind of have that feel of that that kind of the gray joys of the gray joys and and those and those roving bands of bandits. So moving forward, where are we at? We have San Francisco. Francisco. Yes. So you know the question here could be: Can can this team take the next step in terms of its passing offense? They lost Emmanuel Sanders, Jimmy Garoppolo, good up to a point. Can he get better? Yeah, I, I I think that's it. I mean, is Garoppolo the answer? Is he going to be the guy that delivers a Super Bowl title? I mean, I think that's the biggest question facing San Francisco because we saw when everything's humming and everything's clicking, he could be good. But what he has to create when it's on his shoulders, he's going to miss a wide open Emmanuel Sanders on a throw that could have won you a Super Bowl. Yeah, And that's the big question facing this. Kyle Shanahan the offensive schemes and all that stuff can only get you so far. At some point, the quarterback needs to take that step forward. Are we going to see that from Jimmy Garoppolo this year? I don't know. Yeah. But and a guy that we don't have, probably don't have questions about, though, is Russell Wilson, the man up in Seattle. And there are probably no questions about Russell. But there are probably some questions about the rest of this Seahawks team. Where do you start, Matt? Yeah, I mean, I think probably the, where we start is this pass rush. Do they have one? Um, right. Can they generate that? You know, Um they certainly have some big uglies up front in terms of inside, but Benson Mayoa, veteran, who's second second um, trip around for Seattle, you know, after stints in Oakland and stints with Arizona, Rasheem Green, Alton Robinson, Daryl Taylor, who was kind of an interesting guy, but you know, as a rookie, but he's on IR. Can this team mount a pass rush? Because if they can't. And really, it's going to be that in coverage. Like, if they can't cover, they're not going to be on much of a pass rush. So when I see all that, what that says to me is, are they going to... This could really create a career year for Russell Wilson just from game scripts alone. Yeah, it could. Um, I'll stick to the offense here. And I do wonder about... You know, There are always the questions about Brad Schottheimer. Are they going to let Russ cook and all that stuff? I'm wondering about the tight end position. Um, yes, Greg Olson, you know, we know what he can do. How much does he have left in the tank? Will Disley, Luke Wilson, Jacob Hollister, like will they have consistent tight end play down in, down out, game in, game out? I think that's a huge question facing this offense this year. Yeah. So listen, here we are, Tom Brady South, yep. Tampa Bay Buccaneers. What Super Bowl or bust? I mean, I, I think you have to have that sort of set of expectations if you're a Buccaneers fan, if you're in this organization. You look at the talent you've assembled. 
I mean, on offense, I mean, Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski, O.G. Howard, Cameron Brate, that's just a quarterback and tight end. You know, then you add Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, who might be a perfect tandem of receivers for Brady and his skill set right now. You've got a vertical ball winner in Evans, a slot-type guy. He's Julian Edelman now and Chris Godwin. Ronald Jones, who I get some shares of, but I still think he's going to play a big role for this offense, but then, then they add Leonard Fournette. Like, this is a very good offense. It's even pretty good up front. You know, Jensen Marpet, pretty good interior. Tristan Wirfs is going to slide into a right tackle spot as a rookie, getting to protect a quarterback that loves to get the ball out quickly. And this is a defense that was getting better last year, particularly down the stretch. If they fall short of a, at least an, a, an, an NFC Championship game appearance, is it a failure? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think, you know, it's the biggest question for me is that run game at this point. You know, is it is it going to be Jones or Fournette? Jones improved right. enough in my eyes that I think that I, you could see Fournette as a, a a nice opportunity to be get to get a guy who can offer redundancy between the tackles. And I know that sounds like you're not really praising Fournette's ability to be a starter because he could really in this gap scheme he can be a starter um, and be a very good one. But they didn't have anybody who could really run between the tackles with power anymore that they felt comfortable with. I think they saw LaShawn McCoy as strictly a third down back, and that was about it. So as a result, I think they're kind of fortunate. It's just a matter of does Ronald Jones hold off Leonard Fournette for the job, um, or is it something that he's going to end up getting uh, you know, getting taken over um, midway through the season? And that brings us to the Tennessee Titans, Mark. Um, you know, Ryan Tannehill had a great year. Can he keep it up? Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably the big question. Um, I'm going to look at how soon, how quickly does Jadavion Clowney sort of get into the mix here, right? He's reunited with Mike Vrabel. They were together down in Houston. Clowney basically said that, like, he gave him a deeper understanding of the game. Pass rush was a big question for them last year. They needed to blitz to generate pass rush. You know, Herod Landry can do some of that for them. Jeffrey Simmons, maybe he's in a much better position this year coming off the injury he had during his draft cycle. You add Cloudy into that mix, could be a quietly sneaky good pass rush. Laro Merchantson, who they drafted in the fifth round, I think there's some potential there as well. If they get Cloudy going early, this could be a team that people have talked about regression. Maybe not. Yeah, very, 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 very close. It's a very interesting situation from that standpoint. I mean, I think that you know, I like what I see in terms of what their attitude was with this offense. What they were, it was kind of simple. Like, just keep it simple. Do what, do what you do well. Um, and I'm interested to see really whether if they can expand on AJ Brown's role in a way where Brown can take it up even another notch. And I think he can. So yeah. I think we I think we're looking at a budding a budding superstar at wide receiver in AJ Brown and I think he's going to prove that he's going to be one of those guys that you don't need another receiver opposite him for him to be a, a complete stud. And that brings us to Washington, rounding out the NFL. Matt is Dwayne Haskins the big story there? Is it their defense? Is it off the field? Is it Daniel Snyder? What's the big story in the nation's capital? Well, I definitely think it's off the field. And when you think about um, their new GM, Wright, you know, Jason yeah. Wright, who our, our buddy Eric Stoner knew. Um, Eric yeah. Stoner basically talked about how when he got hired, Stoner just went off on a, a, with a bunch of text messages to me about how smart this guy was, how, um, you know, how 
tuned in he was even as a high school student and how he's been following this guy's career all along through his days as like a, a running back at Northwestern and at Arizona and San Francisco and then working his way up. So I think, is he going to be able to change his culture? Because really, the culture starts from the very top. And I think Daniel Jones, I'm assuming not Daniel Jones, Daniel Snyder, you know, has to take responsibility for his behavior as well, most likely. And he's And it doesn't mean that he was participating in all the bad behavior that was there. I mean, we don't know that for sure one way or the other, but he certainly was, um, fought, he certainly didn't um, work against it. He let right. it, he was at least passive in allowing it to happen. So I think that's the big story there. Otherwise, the other, the only other story I look at is, can they find another wide receiver? Because they're going to need to throw the football. And if it isn't Dwayne Haskins, then can Alex Smith like make the complete Cinderella story comeback? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think Alex Smith is your. I know a lot of people have said Roethlisberger, but I think Alex Smith is already your comeback player of the year just to get back to a roster after his injury a couple of years ago. You know, I want to stick on this offense for a bit. You know, questions, obviously, beyond Terry McLaurin. I think Steven Sims does some nice things. Um, how much are they going to get Antonio Gandy-Golden into the game? What are they going to do? What running back? Is it really J.D. McKisson? Is it Antonio Gibson who had, what, like 33 carries? while at college is it Peyton Barber is it bright Brian Love like what are they going to do what do they have around Dwayne Haskins I think the skill position play positions on offense that's the biggest question for Washington yeah well listen hopefully and we'll just start with the NFL the biggest question is can this last more than four to five weeks Um, and I think that's the big question everyone has and I know that you know, there are a lot of outlets, especially fantasy outlets, that are playing the whole positive role about everything. And that's great. They're trying to keep everything positive and keep everybody excited about what's going on. But listen, we have, you know, and there's lots of smart people who are, you know, fantasy players and all that. But this audience, we're not going to fool around with y'all. We know. You, you know what's going on here. So, you know, well, the biggest question is, can the NFL keep people safe? Can the players yep. keep themselves safe? Um, can we have a season? Um, and, you know, because there's a lot more moving parts to NFL teams in baseball than basketball, um, you know, so we'll figure, we'll find that out. We'll hope for the best. And, and hopefully for you guys, you know, your families continue to stay safe and, and prosperous as prosperous as, as we can during this season. And hopefully it turns out that we have a happier ending than, than what the beginning looked like. So yeah, uh, I think that's exactly right. Look, we all fingers crossed want football. Um, obviously, Matt, you and I, our careers are centered around this game. So we certainly want football. And the NFL does, has done a great job. The organizations have done a great job to get us to this point. But now the real work begins because you have the Houston Texans traveling to Kansas City. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have Seattle Seahawks traveling to Miami. Like, players are going to be flying cross-country. They're going to be itching to blow off some steam, perhaps, after a win or a loss. And so now the real work begins. We hope everybody goes about it the way they have to this point. And we can keep testing numbers the way they are, we can keep cases to a bare minimum, if not zero, and we can keep getting football. All right. But now the work begins. That's right. So thanks, everyone, for listening. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You certainly can rate it and review it. Um, you can find more of them at Matt Waldman's RSPcast. You can find um, Mark Schofield at Touchdown Wire. You can find them also here at um, the Rookie Scouting Portfolio, as well as Big Blue Review. He's an occasional guest with the uh, Michael Kist with his podcast. And, of course, um, Pat's Pulpit does great work there, too. Um, and, you know, we appreciate you. And 
You guys have a good week and enjoy the first week of games.